the importance of balancing working on the business and in the business. I had seen Rocky one too many times and I thought it would be a montage where I'd be hitting some beef and then I'm winning the fight. Go share the good news that there's a better way. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Sound of Sales. In this episode, I'm talking with TJ about appreciating the growth curve of life and how salespeople can actually share good news. Enjoy this episode. Typically, start my my podcast with asking uh, with asking the question, um, which is, well, it's a little bit, it's hard because your daughter is five years old. So, um, what I'm asked most of the times is, what would your children say that DJ do as a living? Ooh, uh, but that, <laughs> I'm not sure what your daughter would answer. Um, but if I would say, what would your wife tell me if I ask her, like, what does DJ do for a living? Well, I can actually tell you both. So my wife, she tells people that I help salespeople for a living. Um, and my daughter will tell you that I have meetings for a living. That's my job. Dad has meetings on his computer. That's what he does. So I'm a professional meeting haver. <laughs> How do you handle it when, uh, when you're at home? Does she sometimes walk in? That sort of stuff? Every once in a while, I've learned to be pretty good about like shutting the door all the way, uh, And uh, my wife works part time, and then she also like helps take care of uh, okay. you know our daughter and and, and runs the home for us. Um, and so like I got I got a good partner on defense, if you will. But every once in a while, she'll yeah. come zooming in here. Um, <laughs> and people, I think, just do the you know pandemic and people working from home. Uh, people get it. You know, it's never a, a huge mm. deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So uh, where in the world are you? Yeah, I'm in the Pacific Northwest. So I'm in the United States upper left-hand corner, um, outside of Seattle, a place called Tacoma, okay. Tacoma, Washington. I actually always thought that you were in San Francisco or something for some reason. Oh, I mean, there are a lot of people in San Francisco, um, <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm up in, in Seattle and I love it. Like this, okay. I could imagine myself being here for a long time. Awesome. I've never yeah, been there, special. so uh, I wouldn't know what it'd be like, but, uh, I believe you on your word that it's awesome. <laughs> it's uh, it's beautiful and it's like nestled in the mountains. It's right next to the ocean. Like I can go get to the the beach in like five minutes, ten minutes. Um, so can it's... you serve and ski in the same day? Let's see. Yes, yes, you can. Um, it'd be a bit of a drive, so it'd probably take you, you know, four or five hours to go from like the ski hill to like a place where you could actually surf. But like you could do it, and there's people that do. Mm-hmm. The, the the idea alone baffles my I know. mind. <laughs> That's why I was like, I gotta, I gotta be here. I gotta move here. Um, I love. That's so love awesome. I can't, ex I can't fully like we can't even serve in Belgium. So let alone <laughs> that we can ski and then do it in the same day. It's like wow. It's pretty wild. Awesome. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna circle back a few years. I was on your LinkedIn, of course. Every time I do podcasts, I scroll a little bit. Yeah. Um, I saw you used to be co-founder of a coffee company. That's right. Yeah. I, and then uh, I was thinking, I saw it on your LinkedIn. I was thinking like, I see that in TJ. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, you, you hear it and you're like, oh, that makes sense. That guy. That makes sense. <laughs> He's a coffee company guy. Yep. Um, yeah. What did you do there? I, I see that was with a few other Northwest Roasters, but was it like, yeah, was a physical coffee location with roastery right. and all that sort of stuff? So it, uh, it was both. So it was a, a retail location and it was, 
like a white label roastery partnership. So what happened right. is I have a, had a friend that had a lot of connections in like the roasting and coffee buying world. And I also loved coffee, was a bit of a coffee snob. Um, and we decided like, Hey, let's, let's open our own shop. Let's focus on like pour overs. Felt like that wasn't a thing at the time, mm -hmm. but there were a lot of places to go for that. And, uh, we actually went on a coffee buying trip to Honduras, spent a week touring awesome. the coffee plantations, tasting coffee. I mean, one of the coolest experiences of my life. I mean, it's just amazing driving up to the middle of nowhere in the Honduran mountains. And like, all of a sudden you get out yeah. and there's this farmer that hands you like fresh coffee straight from his plant. It's just, it was special. Um, awesome. Anyways, so yeah, so we, we started a company. Uh, we ended up mostly uh, white labeling other roasters um, just because it takes a while to get your like import license and things like that. Ran mm -hmm. a successful coffee shop location. Unfortunately, the business did not pan out long term. Uh, we you know, sort of broke even. And then around that time, it was about a year in, uh, the neighborhood didn't like the influx of traffic. Um, because we were at a shop that was sort of inside of a, a neighborhood and, uh, due to some zoning issues, they were able to, um, you know, essentially you out of there. Yeah. Kick us out of there. So that was, that was hard. Honestly, that was, it was a bummer. Yeah, indeed. Um, but it was a very special experience and I, I love, I still love coffee to this day. <laughs> I can't imagine like, um, yeah. we, we always do team meetings at a local roastery. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so when i saw it I, it takes me yes. to that place immediately and i, I recently started reading a couple of books about the signs of coffee Come and, on, and how yeah. does it yeah so it just clicked and i was like oh cool i, I didn't know that about you so uh, that was an awesome surprise actually well that's great yeah I'm, I'm a bit of a coffee snob like if we like travel like I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, that jerk that's like bringing his grinder and I bring my own beans. <laughs> I know it's so, and I know it's obnoxious, but I like it. And I, it makes me happy to have really good coffee every morning. So that, but that's true. There's a huge difference. Yeah. Like we could have a whole conversation about coffee beans probably, <laughs> yes, but could, me. like <laughs> there's a whole, there's a whole difference and not every cup is the same. And I'm always baffled. You can make a cup and this today in the morning and tomorrow it will taste different because exactly of the, the signs of it. Uh -huh. It's never, never two times the same. And then, then I started to get interested in it. So that's why I bought the books. Like, okay, I need to know why, why it's always different. All right, Bram, Here we, here's the deal. Podcast number two, sound of coffee. That's going to be, maybe it's the smell of coffee. Maybe that's it. <laughs> we could do subscription. We could send packages around the Let's world go. and have everyone like do tasting sessions and that sort of stuff. There's something here. There's something here. Oh, we so might fun. have to take that up. <laughs> but then there's another coincidence. Uh, I also have a background in retail myself. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you actually were a store manager. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, uh, I have not had the traditional path to sales and selling um, and working in business even. Yeah, I, I managed uh, a grocery store here in the U.S. It was called Trader Joe's. Um, yeah. Yep. And I did a lot of different things. In particular, I was the cheesemonger. I ordered the cheese. Um, and awesome. uh, yeah, it was it was fun. Uh, they're a great company to work for. Uh and it was, it was also like the thing that just to be transparent, I was trying to get away from, like I had done that for many years while starting several companies um, mm -hmm. that just never broke out in the way that I wanted. You know, I think I started like three different companies while working part-time yeah. at this grocery store. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until I stumbled upon Sapper um, as an early employee mm -hmm. that uh, I got the opportunity to kind of take things to the next level. 
Yeah, so if we if we bring it to where you are now, your what's your full title? Because there's like ten I know. of yeah. them. <laughs> uh, currently, and I, I had I believe I've been in this role for like three years now, three or four. Um, I'm the SVP of strategy, and so uh, you know we sort of invented this position at Sapper um, after we had gotten close to like ten million in revenue, and we knew to go further. We needed to like diversify our offerings um, and figure out new products and services to bring to market. Um, and yeah. like that entrepreneurial side is the thing that I you know, bring to the table and, and love to yeah. do. And, and so my job became, you know, conceiving and, and taking them from conception to selling the first customers to building out a business and then, you know, typically handing it over um, to become a bigger part of the business. So that's that's the role mm -hmm. that I've been in and, and I've gotten to start a couple of different things inside the company. Cool. I, I love it. It's the best. I think and, I've done the what's best job. <laughs> well, it sounds like it. You can be entrepreneurial and you're there as an early employee. So you have like all the ins and outs, right? Yep. <laughs> I think that that's an ideal position to be in and to have that impact. I think impact is an yeah. important thing. Yes. Um, but um, for people that don't know Sapper, like yeah. what, what does the company do? Yeah. So uh, the company has several different divisions now. When we founded the company, I was employee five. We had 20 clients, very small, um, and mm -hmm. it was outsourced prospecting. So sales development, lead generation, uh, essentially booking meetings on behalf of clients. And this was back in you know, 2015, 2016. And a lot of the sales tech that's commonplace, like sales engagement tools, weren't widely seen or accepted. Mm -hmm. Sales copywriting wasn't, wasn't even a thing, let alone respected. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we were sort of early entrants and innovators in the space of using sales engagement, of having like a sales copywriting team as a dedicated function. Like list building, targeting, and cleansing was like a whole discipline. And so we built out this business grew it really successfully. That was, you know, part of part of the journey I got to go on. And, uh, you know, now we've got several divisions, you know, we've actually merged with another company. And, um, you know, so we're doing things like Salesforce consulting and a digital marketing yeah. agency. And the division I lead is a, a sales consulting um, division. Yeah. So we're helping them. How many people are now at Supper? Gosh, altogether, <laughs> five, 600 employees. Wow. Nice growth. It's pretty good growth. Yeah, I think we're at 50 yeah. million in revenue right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've witnessed it from the front row. From the front row, but yeah. How was the transition into that? Because coming from retail, coming from being an entrepreneur, yeah. moving into, like, first of all, the step is deciding I'm going to work for a boss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that is that something that naturally works for you? Or you have some people that just can't do it? Like, they're like, yeah. I don't think... Deep form, no one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can we curse here? I don't know if that's a thing. Um, yes, I, I am someone that, like some people like can believe in the vision and the mission and they can go work for anyone. You know what I mean? They just, they keep their heads down. They're diligent. Uh, I am not one of those people. It's not bad. Often it's more of a liability for me. I have to really yeah. trust and believe in the person that I'm working for if I'm going to have a boss and uh, I think that's part of the success at Zapper is, is I got to work for our CEO, Jeff Winters. And, um, it, you know, he's, he's one of those people that like, um, that I know has my best interest at his front of mind and not just, 
you know, did we hit the goal? Did we hit the number? Both things are important, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I really came to uh, to see him both as like a, a mentor and a brother, and and we built this really special business over the last you know six years now. Yeah, super cool. It is super. But cool. it's not that for you. It was was it hard in the beginning to let yes. go of like the full yeah freedom basically. Um, the freedom was hard. You know, honestly, the thing that was the hardest was, uh, I think, the accountability. So when you're mm -hmm. doing your own business, you're accountable to yourself, your own timelines, your own objectives, uh, visibility. And, you know, it's twofold. Like, one, you get to decide what's important. And if you miss something, it's, it's on you. And sometimes it yeah. feels worse, but there's less repercussions. And if you're building a business with other people and if you're reporting to someone – you don't get to decide on your own what's most important and you're accountable to other people. And up to that point in my career, um, you know, looking back, uh, I realized that I, that accountability piece was something that was missing. And mm -hmm. while I, you know, was driven and, and was hard on myself, uh, you know, I needed the structure that accountability of reporting to a boss could provide to push me um, to grow in new ways and in ways that at the time I was underdeveloped. And so yeah. it was hard, but it was also really important for the path that I needed to go on. Um, and I yeah. think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs have a hard time reconciling this desire for freedom, this desire to be independent with like the need for structure and accountability outside of yourself. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's one of those early shifts that really successful people not necessarily putting myself in that bucket, have to go through um, from working on their own to working with team. Yeah, I can imagine if I, if I would need to go through that. Um, I always remembered when I was doing internships or, or before that I became an entrepreneur, so to say, um, that people told me like, if you give if you give Bram the freedom, it will all be all right. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes now, I, sometimes I think like, yeah, how would it be if I would now work for a boss? Would it, yeah. would it be different? Mm -hmm. um, so it's always super interesting. That's why I wanted to ask. Um, but if you you moved from a whole, the first thing is you, you move from freedom to, to working for a boss, like yep. all good, like that figured out. But you also moved into, I guess, something unknown in terms of a role. <laughs> so how did you if you look back to the last years like you've mm -hmm. been there for you've, you've grown into the company but if you look back to the whole beginning and now like what were the things that you've learned along the way professionally but also personally that's a long list i was yeah like I, let's I do top three <laughs> yeah I, I had a lot to learn um I think what's important is that like I didn't come in as the SVP of strategy. Um, I came yeah. in, you know, again, employee number five, I was an account manager and essentially like really I was an SDR. Like my job yeah. was to prospect for these clients, these few clients that we had and develop their campaigns, write their content, pull their lists, have conversations with them. Um, and I did that. If, if I, if I Sorry. pause you there, let, let's, let's pause there and let's, yeah. What was prospecting like back then? Oh my gosh. It was it was the most different. All right. So here's <laughs> here's what it was like. And I'll try to be be brief on this. But um, at the time, sales engagement again was new, nascent. We didn't know about it. So we were using Pardot 
to do outbound prospecting. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best to not, you know, put too much judgment on that. Um, but what you had to do is we were doing multi-step email campaigns. So typically five emails at the time. Um, then they were around like you know, 150, 200 words, which at the time was like, you know, a big deal. Anyways, and we would schedule them out on specific days. So it wasn't like a sequence or a cadence where it, it followed a touch pattern. You had to literally say, this one's going to go out next Wednesday. And for every client I had and every campaign, I had to manually schedule and upload the template. It was maddening. It took hours every day just to build the, you know, now sequence. Um, yeah. So that was a big part of my work. I manually would pull and comb through lists, you know, before we had Zoom Info. Um, mm -hmm. Just there's so much that technology has changed. Reporting, I would manually go in and track, all right, did this person reply? And I had to then opt them and their domain out. Again, all manual. The whole process took so much time and was so prone to error. Uh, it's just, it's so silly looking back now, the amount. It's, it's funny that you say that, but sometimes you still come across people that do that. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> yep. And sometimes you don't but have a choice. That's true. But what year are we talking right now? 2015. So that's like almost seven years ago. That's yeah. insane. Like Oof. it changed a lot. Like we, we talked about your current way of working. Yep. Um, maybe we come to that later, but okay. So we started with DJ prospecting. Yep. Um, how did you evolve? So, you know, that as the company evolved, I got to evolve and, and, you know, I'm grateful mm -hmm. for the, the guidance and mentorship and coaching I got to make that happen. Um, but essentially, you know, early on we realized, all right, this whole like manually scheduling emails thing, like that's not going to work. And so we, uh, found out about a tool called outreach which at the time was like a year old. And we adopted it, moved all of our clients over to it. And it changed the company. Like we still, to this day, talk about like when we moved to outreach, when we adopted sales engagement, it was like, you know, ADBC kind of a move. Um, it, was, mm -hmm. it was just a different point in time. And then, you know, we figured out that we could use a tool like ZoomInfo to make our lists more accurate and, mm -hmm. and better. So it was like a series of technologies. And then there was also like, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it process. It's not process, it's not culture, but like we just learned how to work smarter. And we learned yeah. like the right things to pay attention to, um, both on a really granular level of like how do you manage a prospecting campaign to like bigger of like how do you run a company? You know, we went from mm -hmm. five people to a hundred people in like two and a half years. Um, and and learning like what what's a one-on-one? -on -one? How do you do that? Like, how do you give people raises? Like, what, what do people care about? Like, do you celebrate people's birthdays or is that weird? Like, all these little <laughs> things you take for granted, we had to learn. Um, so those, those are all milestones. You, sorry, and you asked for, like, top three. Um, I would say... The importance of balancing working on the business and in the business. That's a bit of a, a high level thing, but like a lot of folks it. struggle for that balance. And so what are the actual mechanisms? Like do you run sprints that help you to focus in the business? Um, do you have good visibility in your reporting to help you work on the business? Um, yeah, like you need, I think maybe that, that in itself, you need mechanisms, you need frameworks and devices, mental frameworks to help yeah. you do the things that otherwise won't get done. 
How do you structure that right now? Um, because you hear, I'm not sure who said it, in and out of the business working. Um, but it's something that a lot of people, from the moment they are doing research, from the moment they are reading a blog or watching a video on YouTube that can be relevant for your business, they're feeling, can I do this on the job? Mm. Right? They're, mm -hmm. is, is that the thing that you mean as well? That you have discovered like, not everything that I'm doing has a direct result, but it's I'm still working on the business. Yes, and I, um, I think the balance there, and I think especially if we're in the same wavelength here, like the balance is there's so many external inputs and influencers and writers and blogs and podcasts mm -hmm. about like how you should work on the business that yeah. it can be overwhelming quite frankly. Um, and you can feel tugged in a lot of directions. And so I think something that's important is prioritizing. That sounds so basic, but it's just, you know, knowing what actually matters this month, this quarter, sticking mm -hmm. to it. Um, and as you get, like one of the best things that I ever did is create a reading list. So someone shares a really great article on like a new strategy, tactic, operating wow. model. Um, I add it to the reading list and I'd come back to it eventually, but there's no pressure to read it and digest it and implement at that moment because um, it'll probably take away from what we're working on. Yeah, it's very true. That's a good one. Um, do, do you have more of these little things that you do that actually make your days and weeks? Like, how do you, how do, you do the forecasting, what you say? Like, mm -hmm. how do you tackle that? Do you use technology for that or do you just yeah. use? Yeah. yeah, use technology for that. But like in the early days, we just use spreadsheets. Uh, mm -hmm. everyone's quick to like, you know, poo poo on spreadsheets and I get it. There's a point you got to grow out of it, but like long time ago, that's all there was like spreadsheet was the forecast. So, you know, respect, yeah. respect the growth curve. Um, but yes, like visibility, that's something that I didn't appreciate enough early in the business. And I was quick to push off because it's a lot of work. Like mm -hmm. lots of people talk about like, Oh, get the KPIs, right. Get the metrics, get the dashboards. It's hard. And if it's yeah, not hard, true. like, you know, maybe you're not looking at the right data because to get quality data that is, you know, uh, input based and outcome based, not just what happened 80 days ago, um, it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to manage, hard to get people to adopt it, hard to keep it tight and governed. Um, so one, I think people ought to just hear that, like getting the data is hard, even though it's really important. Um, and they should probably invest in the systems to support it earlier than they think. Not everything. Yeah. Like, don't go buy every dashboard out there. You'll go broke. Um, but prioritize. Like, is it revenue forecasting? Is it client health score? Is it employee NPS? You know, whatever mm -hmm. the visible metrics are that are critical to the business. Probably all three of those are some version. Um, you know, get the inputs right. Um, make it repeatable. Make it consistent. Um, and leverage systems so that you know the data isn't up for a lot of interpretation. Yeah, indeed. If you if you look at what you know now, would you have expected to be in this position? If you look back to being a coffee roaster? No, absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. I, you know, I always knew I wanted to run my own business. I probably will someday. Um, but I didn't appreciate the growth curve that was needed to get there. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of had this um, 
you know, it's the, the hustle type thing and you yeah. think like i'm going to do this now and next week i'm driving that's a right. bentley that's right that's right i mean it's in not those words but yes i had seen rocky one too many times and i thought it would be a montage where i'd be hitting some beef and then i'm winning the fight and that's just yeah. not the reality for most people and if it is actually what that means is that you've gotten to the top and you're underdeveloped because mm -hmm. you just can't learn and grow the habits and the skills and the experience to be successful um, regardless of your discipline in business, but of a large, you know, multi-million dollar company without growing mm -hmm. into it. You know, my daughter loves to go hiking. Um, if I put her on the trail for Half Dome tomorrow, she's going to get hurt and not, she's not going to make it. Um, but like if we spend the next, you know, five years practicing and hiking around the hills and teaching her climbing, like she'll get there and then she'll be able to crush it and she'll feel confident and she'll enjoy the experience. Mm -hmm. um, I think that last piece, enjoying the experience is something that I didn't appreciate and I think yeah. doesn't get highlighted enough. Sure. Can you go and take a company from, you know, $100 to a $100 million company in two years? Hypothetically... Are you going to feel terrible at the end of it? Probably. I bet bigger money on that than anything else. Um, you're going to be burned yeah. out and you're not going to want to keep doing it. Um, playing the long game is something that I didn't appreciate enough that I now am more yeah. interested in. Are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk, the marketing yeah. guru? That's of course. Something that he always says. Huh? Yeah. Uh, trust the process and, and patience. That's right. Um, how do you structure that with people joining supper like mm -hmm. if you have new people joining and that sort of stuff like do you notice that that mentality is in there or i have sometimes a feeling that it's the the state of employment right now that mm -hmm. everything needs to go fast i i have to watch out what i say because i say it on <laughs> on every episode it comes into <laughs> it, it's it sips into it but yeah. Do you notice that in the U.S. as well? I think it depends on like the space of the industry you're in. So like in SaaS, mm -hmm. yes, everything's hyper growth, especially because like funding right now in the U.S. is so hot. And, and I'm not sure about where you're yeah. at, but like big valuations, you know, it's, you know, it feels like everybody's going and raising like a $30 million Series A, um, yeah. which is great for that space and great for the people that are in it to a degree. Um, but it really puts on the pressure for fast, mm -hmm. immediate return on that um, and on that growth. So that's that thing. But in other industries, I think people, especially in legacy industries, I, I see the, I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's like people are still, are still reeling from COVID here in the US. Yeah. Um, partially because it's still going on, uh, but more so like people are trying to wrap their arms around like what realities from the COVID pandemic era are now just part of our business. Yeah, indeed. What, what buying habits, um, you know, what, you know, be, you know, work, working habits, um, business operation realities, like what do these things have to stay um, versus what things can we try to put back in the closet? And a yeah. lot of it is sticking around and companies are grappling with that. Yeah, for sure. How how do you tackle that as, I can imagine that being the lead of the strategy, it's something you need to think about. Yeah. <laughs> how do you manage that? Um, how do you see the impact for 
for example, you're in sales, this is called the sound of sales. So this might be highly relevant. Um, how do you think sales will evolve after this or with this? What are you already noticing? Uh, it's funny. I was, I was on a great conversation with, uh, a customer, you know, talking about a future opportunity yesterday and, and they brought up, you know, the great question of like, you know, a number of years ago, uh, I think it was Google and maybe BCG or McKinsey put out a report, um, that said like DMQL is dead. And it was, you know, kind of this true, but sensational moment of, you know, how is sales changing and how it will be different. And there's been this narrative from that moment and, and probably from other things that, you know, the B2B market is going to adopt B2C buying types, strategies, signals. Um, and eventually it will result in businesses just paying directly online without interfacing with the salesperson. Mm -hmm. um, and there's people that are, you know, both advocating and arguing for and against that. And, and what I see is it's actually a lot more complicated. So, yes, there are more companies than ever that are going for like a down market win single users approach where business software software is being sold to an individual. They put in a credit card, they don't talk to a salesperson and it's, it's very product led and or, you know, customer journey led. So I think that will continue to grow for products that can be sold like that. But not every product, at least today with how software in the world works can be sold like that or should be sold like that. And so you're actually seeing the opposite trend for complex, large-scale business impact enterprise solutions um, where, yeah. you know, due to COVID, the buying committee went from like six to nine to 13. Um, some say it's up to 19 now, depending on the type of org you're selling to. And so you're actually Crazy. seeing the sale slow down, include more people, include more scrutiny, um, and require more upfront customization and development. And so mm -hmm. that's contrary to the narrative that a lot of folks, a lot of the talking heads are, are discussing. Um, and it's, it's only, it doesn't appear to be going away. So I think what you're going to see is that transactional sales um, has a major shift happening. And then complex or, you know, what might be called enterprise sales has a big shift happening. And I think what you'll see is less and less of the middle ground. And I think you'll see buying habits cleave into these two buckets that's my prediction yeah transactional sales and will become more b2c type um, yeah. and enterprise sales will be more of what we think of as like classic salesperson led selling do you think do you think it will start to wait let me let me rephrase that do you think that companies should be starting to like decide which way their product should be going in terms of can we do the transactional no touch mm -hmm. or are we going to build out a sales team? Mm -hmm. And of course the ticket price needs to go up because otherwise we can't afford that. Do you think it's a time to start thinking about that or? Um, I think it's that? the time to start testing. Testing it out. That's what I think. Try it. Yeah. And, and if you can't create a test, like if the product just won't work to test it, that's probably a signal. Mm -hmm. um, and it also is a good time to check in just on like your economic and go to market model. Um, you know, yeah. if you moved to a, you know, single user buying motion, would the economics work? You know, if yeah, you indeed. have a large sales team, did the economics work today to support that? 
at what moment does that change? What changes that? Um, mm -hmm. I do think that that is something that early companies in particular, you know, maybe put off for too long is finalizing that. And for, you know, for yeah. good reason, you got to be flexible and, and innovate. But um, yeah, I think, I think now is the time to start testing, to start trying. Um, and maybe the only other thing I'll add to that is like, just because you land in one camp for a time doesn't mean you're there forever. There's many companies that are maybe classic product-led growth that eventually develop an enterprise product and motion. Um, of course. So. There are a lot of examples of that. But I think on the other hand, if your buying committee goes from six to 19 and the cycle go, grows longer and longer, mm -hmm. then the cost of sales is like through the roof. That's right. So that is a big thing. It, it's something we were doing the exercise last week, like, okay, what will be the cost of sales of what we're doing? Mm -hmm. And then if you put all the details together, it's like, okay, we can't, we can't go to market at this price point yep. with a sales team. That would be just stupid. Yep. But it's only something that I think most early stage companies think about down the line when they start to know it's like, why aren't we making more profit? Mm -hmm. um, because we're doing a lot of sales. Oh yeah, but everyone's working six months on it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, that's the thing. I think it's a really important conversation. And I think too that um, like this will be where the companies that are highly effective break out from the pack. And mm -hmm. so I think what you'll see is like, there's a lot of focus and attention on net new pipeline as there should be. It is the, one of the more foundational problems for most businesses, new and old. But I think the best companies are going to focus on velocity more and more and then account expansion. And like, you know, the wave of CS, you know, has, has been speaking to this. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that, you know, the ability to, you know, if you are going to spend six months helping a, a prospect, you know, find a really great solution, you know, maybe you're not going to increase your upfront sales price, but you're going to make a much deeper buying cycle yeah. where there's a lot yeah. more expansion opportunity. It's something that um, a few of the companies like the Atlassian behind Trello and Confluence, that's oh, yeah. those things, they are good at that. Yeah, fantastic. <laughs> they bring you in with like very small ticket mm -hmm. and then the customer success kicks in and, and the product that's growth engine. That's insane. I also think, you know, there's a lot of discussion and conversation around success and the importance of success in that expansion mm -hmm. motion. And I couldn't agree more. However, I feel like there's a, a part of the business or a part of the motion that gets like not spoken about enough. And I'm partial because I'm part of it. Um, and that is like the enablement services. And so this is yeah. both the professional services that are supplied by the software company and the professional services supplied by partners. Um, mm -hmm. And I... I am both partial to it because it's what our business is built around, but it's also um, like I get to see the outcomes of like when we do our work well, the sales softwares that we support always see their accounts expand. Um, yeah. That is the side effect of us doing great work and, and others in the space too, not just us. Um, and I think that that is a part of the motion. You know, software companies are very shy to invest in services, right? For lots of reasons, mm -hmm. most of them valid, not all of them. Um, investors don't wanna see the profit margins related to services. But yeah. if you want to drive that expansion velocity up, and if you want to see you know, these accounts 
capture the promise that you gave them that will result in faster expansion. Um, you've got to get deep and you've got to speed up adoption. Um, and that's not only going to happen through better product. It will take people yeah, yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, that's very true. I think, uh, I think that's one of the reasons why there's a Salesforce partner network and that sort of right. stuff. Um, make sure and the Salesforce partner in. network, the Salesforce partner network is worth more than Salesforce software business. Yeah, that's insane. It's insane. But yeah, it's something. I think if I if I speak for myself, then as as a, as a startup, you're building your product, and then you're thinking, okay, um, how can I increase adoption? That sort of stuff. So you build more on the product. You're gonna start with videos in your product, and you're gonna do other things. Yeah. It's only recently that we said like, okay, we're going to do trainings, we're going to do growth sessions, we're going to do all these other services right. that people also pay for. That's right. But, and yeah, with that, of course, you put a lot of time in it. And indeed, investors then are not happy because then yep. it's like, yeah, but it costs a lot. Yeah. Um, but on the other end, if you can make that one user an ambassador, and they're a team of five and, and they grow like what separated did to 500 people. Like, yeah, do your math. Um, it all works out at the end. And, and it's the long game, yeah. like you were saying. Yeah, that's very important. It is important. How much time do you spend inside the sales world, if I, if I call it yeah. that way? It's like, if I think of you, I think about another, a few other LinkedIn influencers. I don't know why, but Sure. It could be that it, that it's on purpose, that it's your thing. Do you, do you work on that personal brand that you built? You know, the truth is probably not enough. Um, because I came up the path that I did uh, and probably other, you know, internal reasons, um, I've always had, maybe it's a chip on my shoulder, maybe it's a perspective. Um, mm -hmm. But I... Let's decide now. Let's decide now. Yeah, let's, all right, well, I'm going to call it a chip on my shoulder. And I'm going to say that I've always been very sensitive to other people having all the answers. And I've never wanted to be a talking head that has all the answers. Um, yeah. And I think in general, lots of people are online and social channels promoting ideas and theories and perspectives. And a lot of it's just noise. And I just have been reticent to be that. So uh, that has led to, I'm active and I, I try to engage and support conversations online and socially, but probably not as much as I, I guess, should be. Um, but yeah. a lot of people know you, I think. If, yeah. if, I, if I talk to other people, they're like, oh yeah, TJ, of course, we know TJ. So right. <laughs> you have the thing going on, maybe, maybe now. I go about it a different way, yeah. Yeah. I'm, Maybe it's uh, the time to just speak up, start a podcast. That's <laughs> what it is. Go start my <laughs> podcast. I've had one in the wings, so maybe it's finally time. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right that uh, I have you know spent a fair amount of time in the space, and, and I've got a lot of perspectives now that, that probably would be mm. uh, valuable to share. Um, but yeah, I think so as well. We, we've talked a few times and always, yeah. always valuable. Um, but is it something that in, in terms of consulting that you, that you also advise to people within sales, like mm -hmm. personal brands, maybe something you need to consider, or is that something that, yeah, we talk about this a lot. It's not top of mind in that. No, no, no. We, we talk about this a lot because other people ask about this a lot. 
Um, yeah. And here's, here's what I think is more important. So personal brand to some degree is important. I think the personal brand is, uh, is probably more important when it comes to like getting your next job than it does necessarily have to do with like selling well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think probably putting those into two different buckets, you should be active in your community. You should be growing your network. You should be helping other people out, mentoring and getting mentored. Um, those are the things that I think are important. Tracking your wins, you know, sharing your observations and your lessons, being humble. Yeah. These are all things that you can do in a social format that can help build your personal brand and make sure you land a great opportunity next. It often doesn't make sense for somebody to be a publicly facing industry expert. Uh, and and here's what I mean. So hear me out because I, I feel like I'm going to get a yeah, lot Yeah, because of there are a lot of people probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's probably not reasonable for a lot of SDRs to suddenly start talking every day on LinkedIn about, mm -hmm. you know, the 10 year trends in their industry that they have literally yeah. never experienced. Um, yeah, that's true. And, and it's the same probably for a number of salespeople. Most salespeople don't stay yeah. in a job and a field long enough to really know. And so what it ends up happening is like, it, it's kind of evident in the, the things that they're talking about and sharing and like promoting discussion on are thin and uh, they're talking a lot, but it just isn't driving the greater conversation of their space. So it doesn't mean they shouldn't be a part of the conversation. It just probably means they shouldn't be leading it. Uh, and so what yeah. I would encourage people to do instead of over-focusing on their personal brand is become experts in their buyer's problems. So uh, my advice is like commit to a buyer for your sales career. Maybe it'll change. Again, nobody commits to anything these days. But like think in the terms of like, all right, I'm not going to commit to work at Sapper, but I'm going to commit to helping salespeople. That's my, as a seller, that's my spot. And that's what I've committed to. Like I am going to focus my career, you know, at least inside of the next 10, 15 years, helping salespeople because I believe in it. Like I know the space, I know what people are struggling with um, and I can help them outside of just selling to them. So if those things are true for whoever your buyer is, I would encourage people spend lots of time reading and spend lots of time listening, talk to people, have discussions, figure out what your buyers actually care about. Cause then eventually if you do it enough, you're going to have something to say and then you can yeah, go true. and build your industry specific personal brand. Um, but often people put it the other way around. They start talking about things that they yeah. just quite frankly don't know about. Um, and then, or they get up. the content from somebody else and they're like, that's right. There's a lot of that. Yeah. Post yeah. this. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I'm just going to repost, repost, which, you know, I've done it. Like I get it. I'm not trying to shame anybody. Um, but I think the, the steps and the prioritizations out of line become an expert in your, yeah, but that's, that's what you should do. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and, and indeed, if you think about it, the people that I follow, for example, you have people that talk always about the same thing and you, you almost don't know where they work. And you have people who are always talking about the same thing, but it always has the same logo on it and right. it's not that's valuable. Right. And it's, yeah. You don't know but what they a, do. You just know where they work. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah, that's right. If I think of Kyle Coleman, then I know what he's doing. Yeah. And I know what he cares about. <laughs> and it's it's all about writing emails. <laughs> right. But a lot of people don't know what Clary does. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta you gotta figure out 
what that right balance is for you, where you're at in the journey. Be really honest. Um, don't be so obsessed about your personal brand. Be obsessed about mm -hmm. like the space you're in, the buyer you serve. Yeah, but at the same time, you're still building you as a person. Yeah. Of course, as a brand, but it's it's different. There's a different. The word has a different meaning in that sense. Yes. Okay. So how about this? Like, I believe in the importance of building your personal brand throughout your professional career. Here's what I think. Mm -hmm. It's almost like your personal brand is a bridge and it's a bridge yeah. to opportunity, more money, advisory positions, whatever it is, whatever's important to you. But a lot of people don't lay a foundation underneath yeah. the, the earth where people can't see. And so that's the piece that I think is missing that you, you start building a bridge from the ground up. You don't start by, you know, putting stuff out into thin air. Um, so yeah, that's true. my, that's my perspective. Because then it's a bubble about to burst anyway. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's an interesting one. Uh, I was talking with about it with somebody else as well in the last episode, um, and then then I was like, a lot of employers. Um, I, I did a poll on it on LinkedIn, and there were a few people that said like, I don't want my employees to start a personal brand. Sure. But I think if you put it in this sense, it's not about your employees starting a brand just for the sake of it is yeah. just it, it will it will be good for your business yeah. at some point yeah but that shouldn't be the goal of somebody starting a personal brand if somebody comes in here and says like bram what can i do for marketing start a brand <laughs> yeah then we have the situation of the bubble that's right that's right um and i think it's yeah i think it's folks that either don't understand the value of knowing their space mm -hmm. or or you know business leaders that don't understand the value of having an evangelist out in the space. Um, yep. So yeah, I think there's a, there's a coming together there. Um, That's yeah. also something that you see more with American companies mm -hmm. who have evangelists mm -hmm. that yeah. whose only job it is actually is to tell the story, tell the right? Story. If you okay. if you literally translate it, uh, I'll only see it once in in a, in a company that I know uh, in Belgium. Um, do you see it a lot in the US? Do you have that at SAP as well? Uh, we, we do not have a dedicated evangelist at Sapper. Um, and you, you see it a lot in the technology sector. Mm -hmm. And it tends to like, you know, relate to marketing and sales. Um, yeah. And it often tends to be in like more competitive industries um, mm -hmm. and in more like technical sales where you yeah. need somebody out in the market, like speaking at conferences, you know, being the front of the thought leadership. I think there's a place for it. I also think it's overdone. Um, I think it's a little bit old school already. It is. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know where it is in the know. terms of like recent, like old school, new school, but like it is, <laughs> I guess, in its premise. Like it's it's someone who's the company storyteller. Um, and if I, you think of it, it's a little bit weird. <laughs> it is a little weird. You know? It's a little weird. I think it's done best when it's actually part of another role when it's a dedicated yeah. role i think it's hard to um to maintain credibility right because mm -hmm. like i want i trust stories from people that i trust and if your job is to be an evangelist <laughs> sometimes it can it feels biased you know and so i i want to hear from someone who i think can be at least moderately unbiased and the best salespeople can be that um yeah 
they know their space and their buyer well enough to know when they're a fit and when they're not, and they can tell that story. Um, so I, I don't mm -hmm. think we should get rid of all evangelists, but I do think sometimes it's overdone and sometimes it's not done thoughtfully enough. Do you think sales and marketing will, will come closer together in the next couple of years? Like there's a movement happening right now and they call it demand generation, I believe, or that sort of, no, revenue. It's revenue yeah. teams right now. Revenue teams. That's the, that's the move. Team. Yeah, it's very trendy. Move. Um, I think that is happening at a lot of places. It's just a branding mm -hmm. change. But also from the front lines, like I am seeing the, you know, some of the fastest growing, most ambitious companies are doing this for real. It's just slow and it's not as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. So like anything, yeah. we like to talk about big innovative changes and then like internally, it's like not that innovative and not that big. <laughs> or it's just the timeline's a lot longer. So like that's often what you're seeing. But mm -hmm. what it's doing that's important is it's bringing marketing into the revenue proper conversation and not just the brand and awareness conversation. Um, and I think that yeah. is a good thing. Uh, sometimes there are people that are overcorrecting and are robbing marketing from being able to prioritize brand and general awareness. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I think it's positive and it's, it's helping marketing see their direct contribution to growth. Yeah. And, and would that then be in the sense of content adoption and, and what account-based marketing type mm -hmm. scenarios and, and that sort of stuff? So basically, we're already talking about not a lot of startups can apply that. We're already talking like ABM is pricey. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think it makes more sense if we put it back in the, in the two books that we're seeing the self-generating products and the and the ones with a team and enterprise tickets, I see more happening in the second bucket instead of That's right. The first That's one. exactly yeah. right. And that should be the decider. If you have, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you can spend, you can take longer to get to that combined revenue motion if you have yeah. more of a direct, direct-to-consumer approach. Um, if you are in this more complex buying cycle, you have to move to account-based faster, sooner, mm -hmm. which means that you have to work hand in glove marketing and sales. Yeah, indeed. Cool. One last question. Yeah. I ask this to everyone. Um, it's something completely else as well. Like if tomorrow I, I give you a call and say, TJ, I have here a billboard. Yeah. And you could, you could put anything on it. What would you put on it and why? What would I put on the, on the billboard? This is, I think this is going to sound really hokey, but this is genuinely the first thing that came to my mind. Um, and maybe it's just really reflective of this conversation, but it would be be brave and share the good news. It sounds almost, I don't know, preachy. It's not. Um, but I think that, and I'm thinking about sales when I think this, be brave, mm -hmm. share the good news. Um, don't be shy about going and helping companies. Um, yeah. don't be shy about interrupting people with a better way. Um, mm -hmm. Go and, and tell what do you mean you with what do you mean with share the good news the good news being that like there's a better way there's a better way you can yeah. you can help um and this isn't just for salespeople, but like we are in business to help people solve their problems that's the reason we mm -hmm. exist um that's the reason companies exist because there's a better way so like 
go share the good news that there's a better way. Somebody somewhere is toiling over a spreadsheet being like, how am I going to get this report done? How am I possibly going to get better visibility? How on earth am I going to get my team to like stay and grow? Um, and there are companies out there that solely exist to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. That is the world of business. That's and that's good news. It's actually good news. And I don't think that salespeople slow down enough to appreciate that they have good news. Um, so be brave, share the good news. It's always the hustle and bustle. That's right. Uh, and and uh, you always remember the nose that you get. That's right. Which makes you think of sales as like, it's the hardest job in the world, but actually you're sharing good news. You're helping somebody somewhere. Yes. If you're walking down the sidewalk and somebody drops their wallet and they're on the phone and you chase after them yelling at them, hey, stop, you, you dropped your wallet. And they like scowl at you because they don't think they're talking to you. <laughs> And finally you catch up and you pull on their shoulder and they're, they're mad. They're, you're interrupting their phone call and you're like, you drop your wallet. They're suddenly going to like change their face and be so yeah. grateful. That's the job of a salesperson. You're walking around <laughs> all day right. picking up people's dropped wallets and stopping them, even though they're angry yeah. at first. And once they realize, they're going to be so happy. It's good news. That's a very nice comparison. I think we can end on that note. I think there's a nice comparison that I've heard actually about salespeople. <laughs> I think it's true. It's not always true, but I think it, it can't be true. Most of the times it's, it's very true. There's a thing like, who are you? Why are you annoying me? You're almost harassing me. That's right. And then suddenly something clicks in the mind. It's like, I need you and I'm going to stick with you and I'm going to pay you yes. to solve my problem. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to be a champion. And that's right. It clicks. Now, the next challenge is always, yeah, how to make it click. That's so, right. Um, how do you show them? You, you can't solve that for everyone. You can't solve it for everyone. That's for everyone to discover themselves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a process. It's a journey.